you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we'll be reading from verses 9 through 14. The text is also printed in your bulletin if you would like to follow along there. We're reading Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our Lord will stand forever. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Before I begin, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, Thank you, Nate, for that wonderful introduction, for the time that we could spend during Sunday school. I really appreciate that. Uh, It's been a pleasure getting to know Cornerstone, uh, your pastoral staff. Uh, You guys have been an extreme encouragement to us. Um, In Nate's notes and in his introduction this morning, he introduced me as a dream come true. (laughs) That's the first time that I've ever been introduced like that before. Uh, So I appreciated that. Um, I remember 10 years ago when I had a dream come true, uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. And I remember that moment when my wife walked through those double doors and down the aisle uh, to me standing uh, at the altar. I remember that moment thinking, this is a dream come true. Uh, And um, to be introduced as someone like that is very humbling. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it's true. Um, But we're grateful to God to being here. Um, We're also very grateful to you as a body. Uh, Cornerstone has been an extreme encouragement to us. Um, First of all, for the prayers that you guys have been praying over the last several years to see a church planted in Spring Hill. Um, Especially over the last several weeks, we have felt those prayers as we have begun the work Uh, We also thank you for your your financial support. Uh, Nate mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. Uh, We came here with a great deal of seed money to be able to begin the work, and a large chunk of that came from you. 
And we are extremely grateful for your generosity uh, so that we can be about the work that is going on that God is doing in Spring Hill. Uh, we pray that your prayers and your financial support would continue. And from everything that I've heard and seen so far, we are extremely confident and encouraged knowing that that will continue. So thank you very much uh, for your support. As we have uh, moved here to Middle Tennessee um, and begun the work of church planting, part of that process is getting to know Spring Hill. It's getting to know who she is as a community. Uh, what are her likes? What are her dislikes? Uh, what does she like to do? Uh, what is the culture like? What are her struggles? And how can the gospel meet her in her struggles? I met with my daughter's principal a few weeks ago and just asked her about Spring Hill. What's she like? And one of the things that she told me was that there is a hidden poverty in Spring Hill. And that was surprising to me because my wife and I are looking for a house in Spring Hill. And if you look at the housing market, you wouldn't assume that there is uh, anything like poverty going on in Spring Hill. But she explained what that meant. Um, she said that 27% of the students in her school get a free or reduced lunch. This is in a Williamson County school. I was surprised by that figure. I was surprised because it seems that everything uh, is going well for people in Spring Hill. But she told me that below the surface, there's this hidden poverty that hardly anyone can see. You see, Spring Hill, what I'm understanding, is suffering from what many cities in our country, but in particular the South, what we struggle with. We desire for others to see us as better than we actually are. So we project this false front to others. Uh, as my wife and I have been driving around and uh, we've been looking for a house at this point, trying to figure out where exactly God is calling us to live, uh, we've also been looking online. And uh, if you have looked for a house in the last couple uh, of years, you realize that real estate photographers are amazing, right? They're amazing. So we'll see a house and it looks like it's a brick house. But then what you realize is, as you go through the pictures is that it's actually a brick front siding all the way around. And there's a lot of houses like this in Spring Hill. Not that that's a bad thing. We'll probably end up buying a house like that in Spring Hill. But I think it was very indicative of the culture of Spring Hill. Uh, from what I was hearing from this principle is that people like to put up a facade, a brick front, but in reality something else is going on behind the scenes. <clears throat> now, it's not just financially in Spring Hill. It's also spiritually, it's emotionally, it's relationally, it's in every aspect of people's lives. I think that we as a culture, we project better than we are because reality is often too difficult to deal with. We ask ourselves these questions, what if people knew the truth about me, if they knew that I was drowning in debt right now? What if people knew the truth that my wife and I are struggling in our relationship and we haven't said I love you to each other in years? 
What if people knew the shame and the fear that I have experienced and do experience in my life? So what we do is that we live in this fantasy world projecting better than we are and hiding the reality of our lives. So as we look into one of Jesus' more famous parables this morning, here is what we will see. We'll see that because Jesus humbled himself by his death on the cross, that those who humble themselves and confess their sins will be restored into right relationship with God and right relationship to one another. So let's begin this morning by looking at the Pharisee. What a character this Pharisee is. So he comes on the scene here in the temple, and he comes to the temple to pray. And what does he do? He finds the spot in the middle of all the people where he can be seen and heard by the most amount of people possible. And he begins to pray, if we can call what he says a prayer. This is what he says. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Do you notice the word that he uses most often there? He uses it five times. It's I. He says, I, 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 I. This man is so full of himself. He has so much pride that it is bursting at the seams, and because of his pride, it is wreaking havoc in his life on his relationships. But the sad thing is, is that he doesn't have a clue. He has no idea what his pride is doing. So because of his pride, the Pharisee has, first of all, a terrible relationship with God. This man's relationship with God is based purely on performance. The way he sees God is as a God of justice. And we all know that God is a God of justice. But this Pharisee sees God purely as one of justice, as one who is like a divine scorekeeper who keeps tally of our good works versus our sins. Recently, I've been listening to a biography on Luther And as I've been learning a little bit more about his life, I realize that this is the type of God that Luther thought of before he rediscovered this tremendous doctrine of justification by faith. He saw God as uh, divine justice, as a scorekeeper. And in Luther's life, uh, he took a drastically different approach from the Pharisee. See, Luther knew the depth of his own sin, almost to a fault, In fact, when he was a monk, he would spend hours in confession because he came to the point where he thought that if he did not confess every single one of his sins, he would not experience the forgiveness of God. So he would spend three, four, five, even six hours in confession. Uh, I can't imagine being the man on the other side of that, hearing these confessions from Luther And at one point, uh, the man he was confessing to became exasperated with Luther. And he told Luther at one point, he said, man, simply love God. But Luther couldn't because he was afraid of God. And what he said was, love God? No, I hate God. Because he saw him as a God only of justice. 
Thankfully, God revealed to him this precious doctrine of justification by faith. Now, if the Pharisee took the same approach as Luther, he would have probably responded in the same way. However, the Pharisee does not understand the depth of his own sin. Instead, he lives in this fantasy world. He never mentions the sin in his own life, even though it is so evident that it is disgusting. It's as if this man is waving his trophy collection in front of God, thinking that God is going to be impressed with these participation awards that he has won as a kid. Well, God is not impressed with his trophy collection. On the outside, this man may look good, but what is his heart like? Well, Paul tells us in Romans what our hearts are like in Romans 3, 10 through 12. Says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, not even this Pharisee. God knows the truth of who he is, but the Pharisee is unwilling to admit it. Therefore, his relationship with God is completely impeded. But not only is the relationship with God struggling, but his relationship with others uh, is terrible as well. Why does Jesus tell us this parable? Luke tells us in verse 9, Jesus tells it to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is the epitome of the Pharisee. Because of his pride, he looks down on everyone else, not just this tax collector. Everyone he looks at, he measures himself against. And he finds everyone else wanting because of the pride that he has in himself. Honestly, who would want to be in a relationship with a man like this? Who is constantly being compared to and always falling up short. I know that I wouldn't want to be in a relationship like that. But because of his facade, he is filled with contempt towards others. And then Jesus tells us about the tax collector, a man who takes a radically different approach in his relationship with God and with others. And you can see it in the prayer that he offers. So as Jesus is telling this story, as soon as people in the crowd would hear the word tax collector, certain images are coming to their minds And they're not good images. It's things like cheat, things like greedy, like a traitor, the lowest of the low. It's not very often that a tax collector is the hero in a story. But in our story this morning that Jesus shares, he is. Because this man was willing to humble himself and honestly confess his sin, he goes home justified. He is restored into right relationship with God. Now, we don't know what brought this man to this point in the temple. We don't know what was going on in his life, but we can imagine that he came to a point where he was able to finally say, you know what? That's enough. I hate my life. I hate what I'm doing. I hate everything about myself. I'm done. And so he comes to the temple, and all he knew was that if God was keeping score, he had fallen way too far behind. And so he throws himself 
on the mercy of God. This man is utterly broken, and he turns to the only one who can help him, a gracious and a merciful God. And what happens? As he is completely honest, he is freed up to admit who he really is. He doesn't have to keep up appearances with God anymore. He simply throws all that aside, and he comes to the Lord as he is. You know, the sin that we commit in our lives erects walls of separation between us and God. You know, it happened in the garden. Do you remember that scene of Adam and Eve before the fall when they would walk with God in the cool of the day? How amazing does that sound? Especially on a 93 degree degree day in the end of September. Walking with God, having that type of relationship with him. Well, we know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned, and instead of having that relationship with him, they erected walls of separation. Instead of running to him, they hid from him. Now, in our lives, we erect these same walls when we sin. But when we humble ourselves, when we confess our sins to God, those walls that we erect come tumbling down. And what we find on the other side is a gracious and merciful Heavenly Father. He is standing there with open arms and He is saying to us, I love you. My child, you are forgiven. I'm not angry with you. I'm not disappointed with you. My child, I love you. Because this tax collector honestly and humbly confessed his sins before God, his relationship with God is restored. He goes home justified. And Jesus concludes the parable by saying, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. Because of his humility, the tax collector also had a restored relationship with others. Now, Jesus doesn't go into great detail about what this man's relationship is like with other people, but we can make some inferences. Having humility or being humbled like this man was radically changes your outlook on life and how you relate to other people. This man knew the depths of his own sin. How could he look on others with contempt? like the Pharisee did. Instead, he is much more likely to offer grace to other people in relationship because he knows that he himself has received grace. When we were in Sherwood, Arkansas, just outside of Little Rock, I had the privilege of uh, leading 10 men uh, in a two-year discipleship program We met on a Tuesday morning every week for two years from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. I thought, you know what? Men will never sign up for this. But by God's grace, 10 men did, and by the end we had nine. The only reason we lost one was because he got sent off to Germany because he was in the military. So at the end of this uh, two years, we had nine men who were deep in relationship and discipleship with one another. Uh, At the beginning of our time together, we had an overnight retreat. We took our sleeping bags and our air mattresses, and we met together at the church, and we shared our life stories with one another. 
And during that time, as the night progressed, it became an intense time of deeply sharing with one another the trials and the struggles and the sin of our lives. More than once, I heard this phrase. A man would say, you know what? I've never told anyone else this before, but. And he would go on to share an ongoing sin in his life. Something that had happened when he was young that he was too ashamed to talk about. Uh, A trial or a struggle that he was dealing with in his life, in his marriage, in his job. It was intense, but it was sweet. And that weekend set the stage for our next two years and even beyond. I cannot tell you the level of intimacy that we were able to share as men. And yes, men can have intimate relationships with other men. I know it's hard for us sometimes. Um, But the level of intimacy was incredible because we were able to honestly confess our sins to one another, to be who we were, not projecting ourselves as better than we actually were. And when we confessed to each other, two glorious things happened. We could share in our brother's struggle and say these two precious words to one another. Those words are, me too. Me too. And when we could say that to one another, we could also speak the gospel into each other's lives and how the gospel rescues us in the times of struggle and trial and sin in our lives. Um, It was a sweet and precious fellowship. What would it look like if the church and its members were characterized by the tax collector's humble and honest confession? It would probably look radically different than what it does today. When our society looks at Christianity and at the church in general, they don't often see a group of humble tax collectors, if we're honest. They often see a group of self-righteous Pharisees. That's what we project to the world. When the world looks at Christians, they often see Pharisees who trust in themselves and their own righteousness and treat others with contempt. And one of the reasons is because down in our churches, we put on this same brick facade in our relationships with one another. These brick facades that characterize many of the homes in Spring Hill. In our relationships in the church, we project ourselves to be better than we actually are. Even in the church where we preach regarding the mercy and the grace of God to sinners like us, We still struggle with humbly confessing our sins. And we have the same fear as those outside the church. We ask these questions. What if people really knew the real me? Would people really love me for who I am? Or would everyone turn their backs on me? As we're talking about mission this morning and having a missions focus, you know, we get it into our heads that people won't be turned on to Christianity if we are humble and honest and confessing our sins. We, we get this in our heads that we need to be like the Pharisee, projecting something that's better so that people will be attracted to that form of Christianity. But in reality, the opposite is true. 
When we humbly confess our sins and reveal our struggles and the trials that we're going through, it actually makes Christians relatable because that's what's going on in the rest of the world. The Pharisee himself wasn't relatable. How could someone be like him? But when we humble ourselves like the tax collector, it's so appealing to those who do not believe in Christ. It opens up the doors of opportunity to share the gospel story with others because it gives you the opportunity to share how the gospel has shaped your life. And that's what people are longing for. The grace of God offered in the gospel tears down walls. It shatters false fronts so that we can live in honesty. And this is so freeing and so refreshing. It is like a glass of cool water for those who are thirsty. That is what we have to offer to the world. You know, so often in my life, I struggle with being the Pharisee rather than the tax collector. There's something that can easily happen when you become ordained and you get those three little letters in front of your name, that R-E-V. Um, it can build a sense of self-righteousness inside of yourselves. It's very easy to trust in yourself and look down on others with contempt. I'll admit that I've done that. But others don't usually help the situation either. We often place our pastors on this other level, this other plane, Uh, We put them on a pedestal, uh, thinking that they're maybe more holy or less sinful. But that's not the case. God has called your pastors to a particular calling to preach the word. But I want to admit to, to you this morning that the man standing before you is a humble sinner. Uh, My wife was in the the early service, and all I needed to say was simply ask her. She's seen me over the last 10 years at my best, um, but also at my worst. Our four kids were with us this morning. (laughs) They have definitely seen that daddy is a sinner. And honestly, that breaks my heart sometimes. But when I can be humble and honest with my kids and admit my sin to them, one of the things that they get to see is the gospel lived out in my life. And that's what I want to project to my children. I want to strengthen their belief in the gospel, not because their daddy is someone who is righteous, but because their daddy believes in someone who is. So how is all of this possible? How is it possible to come to God humbly and honestly as the tax collector did? How can we confess our sins to God like this man? How can we tear down the facades that we have placed in our lives, these false fronts, and truly live life in honesty? All of this is only possible through the crucified body and through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have a beautiful picture of that as we celebrate communion this morning. You know, Jesus humbled himself by dying on the cross and restored us to a proper relationship with God and with one another. Christ himself became like the tax collector, yet without sin. He didn't have to pray the prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He was without sin, but yet he humbled himself. 
In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul records this, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those are some sweet and precious words. We can confess our sins because Christ died. We can humbly and honestly confess our sins before God because Christ has died for our sins. He has suffered in our place. The punishment that was meant for us was borne by him. He took it for us. You know, if anyone had a right to pray like the Pharisee, It was Jesus. If anyone had the ability to trust in his own record and look down on others with contempt, it was Jesus. His record was flawless. But instead of trusting in his own righteousness, instead of looking down on others with contempt, he trusts in his Father in heaven. And he treated others with love. Jesus took on the humility of the tax collector, yet without sin, as Paul records later in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. His record was perfect. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus has taken our sin. It is nailed to the cross, and as that sweet song goes, and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. So this is the gospel for us this morning, that we are all worse sinners than we ever dared to believe, but we are more loved by God in Christ than we could ever possibly imagine. And because of this, God is calling us to tear down our facades. He is calling us to tear down our false fronts. He is calling us to humbly and honestly confess our sins to God and trust in his son who has set us free. And this is the joy that we have as we come to the table this morning, knowing that this crucified body and shed blood of Christ has set us free that it has torn down the wall of separation that we have between us and God based on our sin. And instead, we have a gracious and merciful Father in heaven who loves us. My prayer for Spring Hill and for our fellowship there is this, that God would gather together a group of tax collectors. A group of tax collectors who would be willing to humbly and honestly confess our sins to God and to one another.
that we would be a fellowship that's characterized by brokenness and restoration through the gospel. I pray that we would be a fellowship that is characterized by repentance and belief in the gospel, that extends grace to others in their sin because of the grace that's been shown to us, that doesn't look down on others in contempt like the Pharisee, but that loves one another with the love of Christ, that doesn't trust in self and our own righteousness, but clings to the righteousness of Christ. Now, this is my prayer for Cornerstone as well. That we would all humbly rest in the love of God that he has for us through the good news of Jesus that rescues tax collectors like us. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, you are a God of grace and a God of mercy that rescues tax collectors like us. Father, if we have a tendency to be like the Pharisee, I pray that as we come to the table right now that you would tear down those false fronts, the facades that we have put up because of our sin, of our self-righteousness, of our treating others with contempt. Lord, and I pray that we would beat our breast and come humbly before you as this tax collector saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as we partake of this sacrament, that you would nourish our souls with the good news of the gospel, that you would encourage us with your love, and that you would send us forth from this place ready to serve you in a humble way, confessing our sins. Lord, I pray that you would use us for the advancement of your kingdom and of your gospel as humble tax collectors, so that we would not boast in self, Lord, but that we would boast in you. Lord, and it's to this end that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.